you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. To sign up for the upcoming Flip My Funnel conference this August in Boston, visit flipmyfunnel.com and use promo code podcast for special pricing. So I have to, uh, I have to admit, uh, I'm, I'm very troubled, uh, very conflicted being here. Um, just seen a lot of things that have uh, disturbed me uh, quite deeply, uh, starting with uh, maybe, I don't know, a five-year-old boy uh, suggesting and inviting us to flip his funnel. <laughs> Pretty sure that's illegal, um, you know. And then seeing three people on the, uh, on the stage, um, uh, clearly deranged, demented, twisted, um, I'm sure that the FBI and the TSA are being uh, called right now to kind of understand your brains because uh, there's something kind of weird going on there. Um, you know, I met uh, Sangram here, uh, you know, through Tim, through Tim Kopp, and um, it was an interesting kind of uh, coming together because, you know, suddenly my beautiful IP, Flip the Funnel, had been absolutely bastardized. Um, <laughs> by this guy who, the more I spend time with him, the more I realize, damn it, I'm trying to hate him, but it's so hard because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> and, you know, the more we got to know each other, the more we liked each other. And so it really is a pleasure to be here. Although, as you can tell, I mean, this is the flip the funnel at the flip my funnel uh, question mark. I'm still kind of on the fence uh, about it. I'm still trying to kind of come to terms um, with the fact that uh, here I am talking about funnel flipping um, but it's a different kind of funnel flipping. And I think really one of the messages here is, I don't care, you know, as the old sales line goes, I don't care what you call me as long as you call me. Uh, in this case, the real enemy, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And in this case, the real enemy is the traditional funnel. You know, now that said, um, I do want you to know that uh, I still am suing <laughs> Sangra. <laughs> so... The part payment by having me here is not enough. Um, I'm not suing Terminus, just you, buddy. <laughs> so, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready at all. Um, I want to start off with a, a little parable. It's kind of, uh, it's actually the story of uh, Oedipus, the other one, uh, Oedipus and the Sphinx. And it actually tells the story about a traveler who had to pass this fierce, ferocious beast. And in order to kind of get from one town to the other, he had to answer a riddle. That riddle was quite simple. What has four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening? And the answer is, yeah, man, humans, people. Um, you guys get to live. <laughs> Most marketers I talk to actually die. Um, so, you know, to me, that was like the ultimate question, right? If you could answer that, it was binary, live or die. I think business sometimes should be thought of that way, live or die, you know, kind of we, we death by a thousand paper cuts, we get so trapped in the middle, so stuck kind of incrementalizing instead of kind of looking at business as very binary, success or failure. And to me, I think kind of marketing and business in general can be distilled down to an ultimate question. I call it the great resolve. And it is simple as this, people love to buy, but they hate being sold to. Why is that? How do we solve for that? And if we can solve for that, I think 80% of our battle is done in many respects. Why is it that we love buying? We love to have our problems solved. 
and our challenges to be met. But when we see that greasy snake oil salesman coming our way, we turn around and we kind of head in the other direction. And I'll try and answer that today for you as well. That's kind of my outlook when I wrote my books, you know, which is really being able to not see the world as it is and ask why, but see the world as it could be and ask why not. Um, and yet I'm always asked this one question when I write my books, which is, Joe, what's the next big thing? My answer is always, there is no next big thing, you moron. <laughs> the next big thing is now. So why are we so worried about, with all your, uh, except with the exception of Periscope, because I know people are Periscoping today, with the exception of Periscope, why are we worried about the next big thing when we still haven't taken care of our friggin' websites and email and search? Even Digital 101, we're sucking at let alone social, let alone mobile, let alone emerging platforms. Um, I'll talk a little bit about startups in a moment because that's kind of my day job. But I always say to entrepreneurs when I talk to them, startups are not the next big thing because kind of they always were. Dunn and Bradstreet, Hewlett and Packard, you know, every single large company comes from humble beginnings. And yet we forget, we lose that humility we lose that memory in terms of where we came from. So startups are not the next big thing because they always were. Just so it turns out that corporations are built to suck. You know, as that old statement goes, let's see how big we can get before we suck. And it's kind of remembering our roots and our history and our heritage that helps ground us. Um, and yet I did write a fourth book um, because my publisher told me to. Um, it's a pity though because my best book I ever will write will be Flip the Funnel. And that's why this is so close and near and dear to my heart. By the way, I never, I saw Flip My Funnel has been trademarked, it's copyrighted. Um, if I had just copyrighted Join the Conversation, every time Anderson Cooper goes, Join the Conversation, I'm like, damn you, Cooper, <laughs> another dollar. <laughs> I would own Terminus, I wouldn't be at the event as well. Um, every bus Terminus. Um, but, you know, I felt, I felt kind of, in a way, you know, it's one of those things where set it free, and if it was yours, it will come back to you uh, in, in the sense. But zero to me is all about common sense. So I do have a day job, and that day job is playing in the innovation space. That really is the common theme for me. My books are all about, my thought leadership is all about change. It's all about innovation. It's all about optimization. So I ask the question, what if? What if Kodak had acquired Instagram? Might they have survived? Well, what about if Blockbuster actually, they had a chance to invest in Netflix, and they turned them down? How's that working out for you? Not very well. Uh, what if actually, here's another one, what if Ford, it's not all about death and decay and dead companies, uh, although there are a lot of them these days. What if Ford incubated uh, Uber? Imagine every single new Ford make and model actually was seeded through the Uber or the UberX fleet. You could try before you buy. Uber is so damn smart. You know, when they want to take on Bill de Blasio, They've got like Uber Bill or Uber de Blasio, you know, built into the app. What a great media channel. So they can activate their advocates so easily. Uh, what if Colgate incubated uh, Snapchat? Think about it. Hashtag it late. Um, and this stuff is not pie in the sky. It's very real. Intuit bought Mint for $178 million. Avis bought Zipcar for half a, that's Dr. Evil, half a billion dollars. My personal favorite is Under Armour bought not only Map My Fitness, Map My Run, but then went back to buy my fitness pole for 150 and then $475 million. Why I like that is because, you know, and this is a great B2B best practice. It's, all, it's called retention, guys. It's called renewal. 
You know, you can get everyone in the world to go into McDonald's and eat one Big Mac, but you're probably not going to get them to go in again. So it's easy to get the sale, but will they come back a second time? That is the test of time. And it's funny because when I showed this slide, even three or four months ago, I said, what are you going to do if you're Adidas right now? What are you going to do if you're Reebok? I'll bet you Runtastic just added a zero to their valuation. Lo and behold, last week, Adidas acquired Runtastic for $275 million. So what does that tell you about me? Two things. One, I'm generally right at my predictions, and two is I'm a really bad businessman because I did not <laughs> invest in Runtastic. But you can see this coming true. What I actually did do is I started my own company called Evolution that connects early-stage startups and big brands, trying to show big brands how to solve their problems using technology and early-stage startups. In general, my fear is the status quo. My fear is mediocrity. My fear is that all we're doing is just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. That actually is a shot of the deck chairs on the Titanic. That's all we're doing. We're robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're incrementalizing. We look at what we did last year to determine what we're going to do next year. We look at what our competitors are doing instead of leading. You know, mediocrity is ultimately kind of connected to precedent. Precedent is the hallmark of mediocrity. Why are we worried about what the person to our left and right is doing instead of actually leading by example? So I asked myself, and Sangram hasn't seen this presentation, but much like he said, I asked the same question. What if we got it all wrong? This is called rear view projection, I believe. <laughs> what if all of marketing was backwards? What if, in fact, my first two books were wrong? All about acquisition and communication and advertising. What if we got it all wrong? And so I did a very simple exercise. Do the math. What percentage of your revenue comes from the acquisition bucket, the first-time buyers, versus the retention bucket, which are the repeat buyers, the return buyers, the repeat purchasers, the loyalists, your customers? And then what percentage of your marketing dollars do you invest against the acquisition bucket versus the retention bucket? The reality is there is a chasm. If 80% of your revenue comes from your repeat returning customer, you are spending less than 20% of your dollars on that same bucket. That is criminal. That is a chasm that absolutely has to be crossed. And by the way, again, to Sangram's point, in B2B, I mean, I remember working on IBM when I came to this country 18 years ago, and someone said, do you know how many customers are responsible for 65% of IBM's global revenue? And I said, I, I, I don't know. And they said, eight. And I said, 8%? That's unbelievable. They said, no, eight. Eight companies. There were governments and you know, AT&T and whatever the case may be. So when we have so few customers responsible for so much revenue, how on earth, how on earth could we neglect them and not really heavy up our investment in them as opposed to relatively kind of costing them aside? But it's actually you know, so much more profound. By the way, 75%, that number is Zappos on any gig. Imagine that, any given day, three out of every $4 comes from a, re uh, a repeat returning customer. That's the kind of business you want, except if that bucket is so leaky that ultimately as a new customer comes in, one is leaving. But I actually want to take it one step further. So within the 75%, Within the 80%, within the revenue contribution, not all customers are, in fact, created equally. 
So even within the retention contribution, you have a few customers responsible for the overwhelming majority of those dollars. Believe it or not, you know, using the 80-20 rule, only 12% of US shoppers actually are responsible for the consumption of 80% of all Coca-Cola volume. And with Diet Coke, do you think it's higher or lower? So I'm hearing some higher, some lowers. Hands up who thinks it's higher. I'll give you a clue, the 80-20 rule. Yeah, good, good percentage of you, you're all wrong. It's lower, it's 6%. <laughs> How about Coke Zero? And believe it or not, I once had someone shout out, Zero, oh crap, <laughs> you know. But it's close, it's 3%. Can you imagine that? 3% of buyers responsible for 80? Of course you can. You're in B2B. Of course you can imagine that. I'm one of them. We go through a fridge pack every week and a, every week and a half, every day and a half. In my, these are not my teeth. You know. <laughs> That's how much I love my soda as well. So again, what are you doing to kind of recognize these people? These are your zealots, the Z of zero. These are the people that have Coca-Cola Zero tattooed on their butt cheeks. What are you doing to identify and expand and advocate, etc., with them as well? They're not that hard to find. Thanks to Mr. Jeff Raws, I discovered the Melt Bar and Grilled, a grilled cheese sandwich store in Cleveland, where if you walk into the store with a tattoo of their logo on your body, you get 25% of grilled cheese sandwiches for life. <laughs> or the life of the tattoo. This was clearly someone who didn't trust the sales clerk. So they were like, look, it says 25% off. <laughs> right? They have over 550 people that have done that. And they're displayed on the website and in the store. Well, they also have the Melt Challenge, which is a 12 cheese, seven pound grilled cheese sandwich that was featured on Man Vs. Food. So great that I actually took on the melt bar, the melt challenge with Jeff Rawls as my wingman. That was the before picture. He has the after picture. <laughs> it was too much for me. I tried, I swear. I felt the reversal of fortune coming up. I basically went on 33%. I figured you can go to the Hall of Fame if you bat 333 lifetime. So as soon as I had about a third of it carved away, I kind of said, no muss. Um, but that's passion. That's what zealotry is about. That's what advocacy is about. That's what love is about. So it's time to rethink everything we know about advocacy, about loyalty, about retention, about marketing in general. It's time to spurn the concept of churn. What's the point in fishing when your net is full of holes. It is absolute lunacy as well. It's absolutely crazy. And this is mission critical time. This is mission critical thinking. There is data out there that is, to me, breathtaking. 75% of Fortune 500 companies from 1990 are no longer in the Fortune 500. 50% of Fortune 500 companies from 2000 are no longer in the Fortune 500. Imagine all that shareholder value. Imagine 50% of Fortune 500 companies from 2000 are gone, meaning absorbed, rolled up, rolled under, rolled, you know, rolled in, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, bundled, out of business, uh, taken over, etc., or just lost value. How are we being responsible business people to our shareholders when we're losing value because we're not fixing those holes? So I decided to kind of say, we need to do something about it. 
We need to stop thinking about marketing and even retention and customer service from our perspective. This is all we care about. We care about churn and attrition and competitive conquesting and upsell and cross-sell, but we're not thinking about our customer. We're not thinking about how we can actually elevate the dialogue to think about content creation and commendations, referral, referrals, testimonials, joining the conversation, you know, ultimately using existing customers to gain new ones and ultimately you know, elevating to a point of ownership where people will put tattoos on their body, where they say, I should work for you because I've sold so many of your stacks or the R&D and the innovation component where they are voluntarily giving you ideas that can absolutely help you obliterate your competition because they love you so much. So I flipped the funnel. By the way, and this is really interesting, you know, this is me trying to say, don't ask me to explain this diagram because I think I was under some kind of drug-induced hallucinogenic trance, or as they call it in Holland, lunch. Um, but, you know, but do you know that the traditional funnel was created by a traveling insurance salesman, literally a snake oil salesman, called E. St. Elmo Lewis in 1879. So talk about doing it all wrong. In this day and age, this is before the internets, <laughs> about 10 years before, okay, 110 years before, that this traditional funnel, awareness, interest, desire, action, linear, you know, move them through the sausage factory, whatever the case may be, the mincer, the grinder, it is completely outdated. So instead of AIDA, I created IDEA, which stands for Acknowledgement, Dialogue, Incentivization, and Activation. Let me give you some examples. So Acknowledgement, before you hit the play button, the two most powerful words in the English language are in fact, as you can see on the screen, thank you. In my household, it's I'm sorry, but it's thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you to Sangram for inviting me. Thank you to the sponsors for being here. How often and when last did we thank our employees, our customers, our most valuable customers, our wives, our husbands, our partners, whatever the case may be? This is an example from a TD Bank in Canada that I think encapsulates it beautifully. so eloquent, uh, eloquent, so succinct in a sense, and so powerful as well. Acknowledgement. Then you get to dialogue. This is having a real conversation with people. HubSpot does a brilliant job of content marketing, of content strategy, where the content isn't just about pushing content out, but it's also about engagement and having a conversation. In a socially connected world, everything that is said and uttered, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's through LinkedIn, 
Someone has a point of view. Someone's going to share. Someone's going to vote it up. Someone's going to comment on, on it. Someone's going to riff on it. Someone's going to bastardize it and create the, uh, no, I'm joking. Um, but, you know, but, but that's what part of, that's really content marketing. It's content social you know, content marketing as well. Then we get to the I of incentivization. Really important when you think about this idea of recognize and reward. Don't take your customers for granted. Don't take referrals for granted. Don't take advocacy for granted. Don't take the 3% for granted and say, well, we don't need to do anything. They love us so much. Why on earth would we need to spend a, a second of our time or a, or a penny of our time on them? It's the exact opposite. So you have, you know, the idea of an employee of the month. Why not have a customer of the month? I love this for B2B. You know, you have the ability to find your customers and connect them with other customers. You have the ability to elevate and showcase your customers. You know, turn them into heroes. Help them with their business. Intuit went and put a small business of a customer of theirs onto the Super Bowl. So Dunkin' Donuts in Times Square and on their Facebook page, they have a fan of the week. They're dedicating their prime real estate to celebrate their customer, to recognize and reward them for their advocacy. And finally, we get to activation. Connect the dots. Create community. This is maybe a syn synonymous with the concept of community. So Amex does a good job with, you know, the whole idea of their open forum, connecting entrepreneurs with, uh, with other entrepreneurs, creating a sandbox to learn. You know, if they, I don't know how many entrepreneurs there are in the audience, but if you haven't failed once or either gone bankrupt or nearly gone bankrupt, you're not really an entrepreneur. So this is not Amex, by the way. I mean, nobody told me in my first company that the money going out the company had to be greater than the money coming in. I mean, they call it cash flow, but no one told me clients don't pay on time or, you know, it's all, you know, it's all uh, trash until it's cash. Like, no one taught me these things. But what Amex does is they don't preach to their customers. They connect entrepreneurs with other entrepreneurs to learn from one another. So in Flip the Funnel, I came up with three very simple hypotheses. Number one, retention becomes the new acquisition. This is important. Retention is not this defensive, static, back office, you know, please don't leave me. I'll be good. I'll be better. I'll treat, you know. This is all about a means to an end. And it all begins, yes, with the upsell and the cross-sell. How many of you have ever walked in to a Genius Bar in an Apple store and walked out with a 29-inch monitor? I have nine 29-inch monitors at home. I don't know why I keep on buying more Apple products. Or McDonald's, six words, would you like fries with that? You know, $100 million in top-line growth in one year. You know, or, uh, you know, I love the Amazon Prime, right? $79.99 originally. I'm like, suckers, you know, I'm going to teach you $79.99. I'm going to buy from you 40 times, and I'm just going to buy one book at a time. <laughs> P, you know, P, raise, that's how you game the system. That's why Flip the Funnel was best-selling. No, <laughs> um, but, so, um, but... But so what do I do? Because I'm a marketer, so I'm completely neurotic and completely paranoid. It's like people like you that bought Flip the Funnel also bought Audience by Jeff Rawls. I'm like, well, I want to be like people like you. They must be smart. So I end up upselling and raising, you know, increasing the basket size. So the fact is this. People will pay, your customers will pay a premium for great customer service and great experience. When somebody says you're too expensive, it is just a simple code for you're not giving them enough value. That's the beginning of retention as the new acquisition. But ultimately, you know, we segment leads, hot, cold, boiling hot, ice cold, you know, frostbitten leads, I don't know, you know, third-degree burn leads, etc. But we don't segment our customers at all. 
It's time for us to start thinking, really thinking, about do we have a specific plan and policy in place for the 20, the 12, the 6, the 3? The people that buy us a lot? What are we doing for the people that talk about us a lot to a lot of people? The loud mouths, the you know, disheveled, gown-wearing, basement-dwelling, mom-and-pop-living, you know, bloggers you know, angry at the world. What are we doing about those big mouths, present company included? But you know, who cares about them, quite frankly? Who cares about Kim Kardashian? Who cares about celebrities and web celebrities or whatever you want to call them? What I care about are the people who buy me a lot and talk about me a lot to a lot of people, that little sliver in the middle. What I want to see us do is expand the middle part. I care about the credible, authentic endorsements and testimonials of real customers who have influence. And if they have influence, just get out the way and let them talk. And if they don't have influence, or if they don't have the megaphone, Turn the funnel into a megaphone. That's actually Seth Godin's point of view, right? Which is amplify, give them the megaphone that allows them to kind of increase that voice. Customer centricity and influence, and influence equals advocacy. If you take a truly customer-centric approach and mix it with influence, that's when you get real advocacy. So I'll just give you a few examples of how retention becomes the new acquisition. Nobody likes doing their taxes, and quite frankly, no one likes liking anything on Facebook, really. Um, but in this case, TurboTax did a brilliant thing. They, they hard-coded a like button into the actual TurboTax software. And right at the end, when you were finished doing your taxes, context is king. They said, do you like the fact that you're done, you're finished, and you're getting a rebate? Of course. So people liked it, and it led to a 1% click-through rate and ultimately... 100,000 or conversion rate and 100,000 new customers. Imagine being able to get 100,000 customers relatively for nothing, for free, just by asking the right question at the right time. Do you love me? Would you, write a you, know, would you create a testimonial? Do you love me? Would you share me with your friends? Of course I will, because I love you. Um, My Coke Rewards is doing an interesting job you know, here in Atlanta in terms of being able to figure out how do you formalize and scale advocacy? How do you create a reward network? An Amex or an American Airlines, how do we create universal currency that allows us to actually trade on advocacy? You buy, you sell, you earn, you redeem, you reward, you exchange, you gift. That's really the ecosystem that will power this as well. Or Maker's Mark. Uh, any uh, Maker's Mark ambassadors in the audience? There's always one, right? Raise your, there's one, right? Anyone else? Yeah, there are more. There, there's, I've never given a presentation and not found one in the audience. So Maker's Mark has an ambassador program. Every single company could and should have an ambassador program. It's so easy, whether you call it a task force, whether you call it a committee, whether you call it an advocacy kind of working group. I don't care what you call it, just as long as you call it the ability to formalize and scale. Um, and you know what? It doesn't just stop there. There is a very simple human truth and insight, which is nobody likes drinking alone. Or for those of people that do like drinking alone, there are special programs to help them. Um, so, you know, what do you do at the end of the year? Hopefully not drink alone. You gift. You know, we love, to, we love this in B2B. We love to buy gifts for our customers, our clients, uh, the channel, whatever the case may be. So what does Maker's Mark do? They say, look, we know you're going to gift, and you're probably going to give Maker's Mark because you're an ambassador. Duh. I mean, you know, duh, duh. <laughs> you know? So what do they do? They grease the wheels by giving you, in this case, you know, wrapping paper and tote bag and collateral, AK propaganda, it doesn't matter. But they're actually saying, you go sell us, and we'll actually make you look good in the process as well. 
Hypothesis number two, customer service becomes the key strategic differentiator. So retention becomes the new acquisition, and it is customer service that ultimately will get us, listen, the four Ps are commoditized. Another old-fashioned, you know, almost 100-year-old marketing framework and paradigm. You guys in B2B, you know, I could ask you all to pitch me, and after a while, you will all sound the same. ASP automated, cloud-based, frictionless, white label, you know, seamless, bullshit bingo. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, our stack, my stack's bigger than your stack, you know. Really? I'll show you. No. <laughs> Take that off Periscope. Uh, but it's, you know, all due respect, you know, it's not the four Ps that will make me choose you. It's your service. It's the fact that I believe customer service is the new marketing, is the new PR, is the new crisis communication. Cry, um, customer service is ultimately the new way to differentiate. I choose you because you remember my name, because you look after me, because you take care of me, because you're there during the good times, and you're definitely there during the bad times as well. In the olden days of Twitter, when Toyota had their unprecedented uh, recall, I actually realized that I had, at, at that point, more Twitter followers than the entire Toyota company did. So I'm not going to tell you what my market cap is, and we don't know each other that well yet, but I can tell you it's less than Toyota's by this much. Um, isn't it amazing that more people had found what I had to say valuable than what Toyota had to say? And Toyota had a more important message, which is take the bus to work tomorrow, because the accelerator was sticking as well. I actually think Dove's campaign for real beauty is a great example of customer service, because the opposite of service is disservice. And I think we do our customers a disservice when we lie to them, when we exaggerate, when we use sex to sell, when we use hyperbole and exaggeration, and Super Bowl commercials to say, your daughter needs to be an anorexic supermodel to be beautiful. I think Dove's campaign for real beauty did us a public service by actually saying they're all lying, and ultimately your daughter, she might be a few pounds overweight, but she's beautiful inside, and that has to come from her, not from someone preaching down to her. So that shows you how customer service can be turned around to be truly, truly valuable and utilitarian-based. So if you believe that, that ultimately people would choose company A versus company B based on how well they treat their customers, it's time to actually introduce the new rules of customer service. Customer service operates real-time, 24-7, does not stop at 5 p.m. on a Friday when you go off shift. It operates in the public domain. It is alive. It is proactive. It is constantly learning as well. I'll give you an example, by the way. I don't know about you, but this actually happened to me at a W hotel. You can probably see some of the fixtures and fittings. Um, but I, you know, I used to only tip uh, housekeeping right at the end of my stay. So I'd leave you know, $20 after four or five days, like four or five dollars a day, whatever the case may be. And then I realized that a lot of housekeeping people go off shift. So I was actually kind of punishing you know, the person who looked after my room maybe the first two or three days and, you know, they might have been, you know, peeing in my water or something like that. So what I started doing was actually giving them a tip every single day. And then I got really smart. I was like, hey, I want some free stuff. So I'd leave $3 and then I would write, more water, please, smiley face, H2O, bubble, 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 you know. <laughs> and even sometimes put the empty bottle, you know, right there. And they beat me at my own game one day when I actually got two bottles actually delivered to me with a message that said, dear my guest, thank you for the tip and have a nice day, housekeeper. And I'm starting to see 
a lot more of this as I talk about it a lot more. And a lot of people talk about me talking about it as well, especially within Starwood as well. You can't put this in a playbook. You can't, you should, but ultimately the real problem with service is, you know, salesperson A had a bad day and they're going to treat their customers like crap or whatever the case may be, whereas customer service person B is feeling really good and is a real diamond in the rough and they will go the extra mile. So part of the challenge is to figure out how to be more consistent, how to kind of create this empowerment, this humanity, this human touch. We're all so concerned about automating intimacy and, you know, but how do we scale humanity? How do we find the mixture between technology and humanity to kind of do these things more often? And finally, we get to hypothesis three. The real role of social media is retention. Stop using social media to acquire because social is water. You need it to survive. Without water, you will die. But media comes from the word medium, neither rare nor well done, is oil, is snake oil. And somehow we put water and oil together, they do not mix. Social and media together and we expect it to work, it doesn't. This is what selling should be. It should be like a scene from Monty Python, from Life of Brian. It should be haggling, it should be shouting, screaming, insulting, kissing, loving, embracing, touching, smelling, feeling, tasting you know, hearing, it is a sensory experience. It should be passionate. It should be emotional. It shouldn't have to be, you know, this shoe that keeps trying to friend me or face me, Facebook to FaceTime me or add me to their circle. Wait, do circles even exist? And hashtag me and check into me on Swarm. Dude, you're a friggin' shoe. And I'm pretty sure most of that stuff is illegal. You know, I don't want to friend a shoe. I don't want to friend a stack. I don't want to friend a can. I want to be connected with the human beings behind the can, the engineers, the designers, developers, those crazy people that created the rep. Those are the people that I want to connect to, people that love their jobs, people I want to see myself in them. I want to see the humanity in that company. That's the company I'm going to give business to. The problem with this whole liking culture that we have is we're broadening the wrong end of the wrong funnel. How many of you have seen the sign in a shop window? If you love us, like us. Downgrade the love to like. Why? Upgrade the love to lust. Hump me, you know, dry hump me, I don't care. Give me a lap dance, you know. If you love me, commit to me, marry me, you know, kind of. I, 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 would, I would say have an affair, but that's not working out too well for Ashley Madison with their data breach as well. But the whole idea is love is the business that we truly should be in. How do you scale humanity? How ultimately do you reconcile the fact that this is a people business driven by technology. How hard is it to write a handwritten note to your customer? Do you remember pens, by the way? <laughs> no? Okay. Not styluses, real pens. You know, it is possible still to write. Um, you know, your employees are the ultimate asset. This isn't just about customer centricity. This is about employee centricity. This is about the fact that you can't go into an Apple store and not be like, I dare you to try and walk from one side of an Apple store to another and not get accosted by a blue shirt. You know what I mean? It's like, it's great for like kind of, it's better than basic training because it like really works your kind of, you know, it's like skiing in a sense to avoid them. You know, and from the, uh, in the B2B space, I think MailChimp does a great job of humanizing their company by kind of connecting you through social media outlets like Instagram to their crazy passionate people. You know, there's, there's, the word culture is so important. You know, the word cult comes from the word culture. You know, it's very, very infectious culture. And it's also infectious when people love what they do.
Because if you love what you do, the rest will. Hey, guys. Am I presenting off a PC or a Mac? Okay, good. So then this isn't real. Good. Um, the point is, <laughs> the, the point is, sometimes you have to go off script, right? As I said to you. <laughs> yeah. And heart attack now. Um, <laughs> sometimes you gotta go. Sometimes you just gotta go off script, right? Again, like you know, when do you give one? When do you give one water? When do you give two waters? Or for people at the back, when do you give them a vodka? You know, how do you ultimately create this kind of approach? Dear Sainsbury's, the chicken in my sandwich tastes like it was beaten to death by Hulk Hogan. Was it? Really sorry, it wasn't up to scratch. We'll replace Mr. Hogan with Ultimate Warrior on our production line immediately. You know. <laughs> The more you practice, the luckier you get. The more you try and the more you fail, the better you get next time to kind of really find that authentic self as well. I call it reach. Responsive, empathetic, accessible, connected, and human. How do you really want to join the conversation and be a social brand and, get, and engage in, in a different kind also of social selling? It's by being responsive, empathetic, accessible, connected, and human. How do we humanize the brand Ultimately, that is the goal. So let me put it all together for you and bring it home. I think we're moving from the funnel of attention, clearly, you know, Aida, uh, through the funnel of trust. Who do you trust? Someone just like me, that's Social Media 101. But now it's the funnel of experience, the funnel of custom experience, where we can truly move people through now the flipped funnel. We begin with the customer purchase, not end with the purchase. And through kind of commitment to conversation and listening and responsiveness and customer service 2.0 and creating some kind of an affiliate or an ambassador or some kind of formalized advocacy program, we truly can get to what I call the marketing bow tie. And this is maybe the most important framework that I created with Flip the Funnel that actually says, guess what? The traditional funnel still exists. We're still going to need to acquire new customers, but if acquisition leads to retention and that retention is a means to an end, leading to the new acquisition and through voice of the customer, by the way, the flip funnel is not linear, it cycles and pulses with continuous feedback and improvement. What's really happening, it's only the traditional funnel that is linear. The flip funnel iterates and iterates and iterates, and by closing the loop, what I think we're gonna see is a kind of weird looking bow tie where we actually spend less money acquiring new customers because we're more efficient at doing so, and we spend more money investing in existing customers because it is more effective doing so. We build the business, the business from the inside out. To do that, we need to be true Robin Hood marketers. We need to steal from the rich and give to the poor. So my challenge to you is get to 60-40. See, I didn't go all kind of you know, batshit crazy on you. You know, you should spend 80% on retention. Just, you know, you could double the, I dare you to double the amount you spend on retention. Go from 80-20 to 60-40. You probably couldn't even do it. But you should do it because $83 billion is lost every year in the U.S. thanks to poor customer experience. There is money here. Just like there's money in startups, there's money right now in improving our customer service. To do that, we've got to get out of, this is acquisition marketing, by the way. I just want you to own it. You are in the stranger and prostitution business. The stranger is the first time buyer and the prostitute is the switcher, right? The promiscuous buyer. They switch to you for the wrong reasons. They'll switch away from you for the wrong reasons as well. My daughter actually says, where is the one place that you will be safe during the zombie apocalypse? The answer is Costco because there's plenty of food, plenty of water, and you need a membership card to get in. 
Costco says no strangers and prostitutes. You've got to pay membership. Membership has privileges. Let's get away from the stranger and prostitution business to a point where our customers can help us do things like create the splash stick, like actually be part of our innovation and R&D engine. Let's actually completely look to reinvent our businesses, change the business we're in. Look at, look at Nike, for example. For those of you that buy Nikes and go to a Nike store, I don't know how many of you know that almost every Nike store, the employees are runners, obviously, but what you may not know is that you can actually go running from your Nike store once a week. They meet at the Nike store. My Nike store in Westport, actually, on every, you know, every Monday, they move all the furniture aside and they do core ab workout. They do core like ab work as well. So that is a truly employee-centric and a customer-centric organization that is no longer a shoe or an apparel. I mean, they're a lifestyle company. They're a data company with Fuel Band, with Nike Plus, with Nike ID. They really are reinventing themselves as being a different kind of company. They are basically showing us how we can move from being people-centric to being a customer-centric ecosystem and an employee-centric ecosystem powered by technology. Two insights so powerful today. Your customers are your most influential salespeople, and your employees are your most credible spokespeople. Everything else is absolutely meaningless. It's unimportant. It's, it's fluff. You know, it's kind of added value. But the essence, the meat of this entire model comes back to being customer-centric and employee-centric, recognizing that ultimately that credibility, that influence, that authentic influence and credibility comes from inside the corporation. I mean, we see an element of it. In, I mean, Dreamforce, I think, actually, has now the GDP right now of, of, a, of a kind of emerging country in Africa or South America. I mean, I don't even know if this is a conference anymore, in a sense, but they've created this whole ecosystem that is so intricate and complex, and I'm pretty sure the NSA are involved in some way, shape, or form, but they've demonstrated how to actually create almost this organism, this, you know, Audrey too, that has taken a life of its own as well. So as you start to think, how do we create this ecosystem, this customer-centric approach? How do we turn retention into the new acquisition? How does customer service become the key strategic differentiator? We live in a world where we talk about SaaS all the time, where subscription-based, you know, kind of pricing is the order of the day. But don't be fooled into a false sense of security, a complacency that comes from automatic renewals as well. Don't take your eye off the prize. Ultimately, you know, you've got to keep reinventing yourself and reintroducing yourself and renewing your vows to your customers. So forget renewals and instead focus on renewing your vows. Kind of, you know, every day is a new day. In a way, marketing is Groundhog Day today, especially with that, that crazy stack that Sangram showed. Just when you think you've figured it out, something else comes along that can disintermediate you or disrupt you or change the whole game. And the only way that you can stay current and on top of your game and competitive and hungry is to constantly be in this sense of renewal, the kind of moth emerging from the cocoon to become that beautiful butterfly. Change the business you're in. Focus on the small stuff. You know, this is a, someone who bought a Tesla, and they didn't actually Facebook the fact that they bought a Tesla. They actually shared with me that clearly they have an unhealthy relationship with Star Wars, but that the actual salesperson had bought them those little figurines as well. The smallest things are the cheapest things 
are the most valuable things and the things that your customers will remember. And also the biggest things. It's an, I think we heard that last night at, I forget who, who it was that said it maybe last night at dinner, and I love that concept. Um, who said it? If you're here, I should give you credit for it. But it was this idea, like, we need to focus on the huge things, but also the tiny things as well. Find the right balance. You can't automate intimacy, and, and, and how do you scale humanity? And the answer is very simple. This is a B2B 101. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And from a B2C standpoint, just one human step at a time, one thank you at a time, one smile at a time, one human being at a time will help you create this new model. So I believe that actually resolves the great resolve, the great conundrum, which is your customers love to buy. You know, so people love to buy, but they hate being sold to. But your customers who have proven, by definition, a customer is someone who came back to you a second time. They came to you for a reason. They came back to you for a reason. They love to buy from you, but they don't see you as a greasy snake oil salesman. They see you as a consultative seller at worst and a value-added partner at best. When you become a true partner, when you become joined at the hip with your customer, you no longer are a salesperson. You are a friend. You are a mentor. You are ultimately a solution provider, a phrase you hear a lot in the business. Move from selling products and stacks and, you know, and SaaS to actually solving their problems and being a solution provider. And that ultimately is the E of reach, which is empathy. So I leave you with this thought. For what you've just heard over the last 40 minutes or so, is it an evolution? Are we smarter marketers now? Instead of worrying about the next big thing, kind of focusing now on this retention as the new acquisition, the bow tie, is this an evolutionary approach? It certainly is better than one that's 120 years old. Or are we witnessing actually and or a revolution? Down with the marketer, down with the man, down with the government, you know, down with the big corporation. Viva the startup in a sense. Is it truly a revolution? Customers rising up and taking on the big corporation. Maybe. I like to think of a different definition of the word revolution. It implies coming full circle and implies getting back to basics, and implies never forgetting where we've come from, and implies renewing our vows, and being able to have that humility that takes us back to day one, moment one, second one, when a customer said, I choose you. I'm gonna give you my trust, or you have a chance to earn my trust. That's the essence of flipping the funnel. It is time to flip the funnel now. Thank you very much. So, so it's two minutes and 20 seconds. We have time for one or two yep, questions? Yep, one or two questions. Okay, one or two questions, and you'll get a book. And a million dollars. <laughs> Any questions? Now, pe people get very scared of me. Where do you see brands struggling the most in that humanization side? Well, you know what? I was having a, a good chat earlier about the problem with, like, legal in a sense. We get so tied up uh, in terms of, you know, imagine going to a rock concert, by the way, and, and them confiscating 50,000 phones. You know, one day you could not take photos or videos at a concert, and then the next day you could. Like, when did that happen, in a sense? Or you think about when I wrote my first book, Life After 30 Second Spot, I could not put in a website of a company that sucked. Their website sucked. I couldn't put that a little screenshot of their website in 
and say, this company's website sucks because I had to get permission, and clearly they weren't going to give me permission, except for the fact that every day they were putting a sucky website in front of millions of customers. Today, that's gone as well. So you can put anything in the public domain in a book. So, you know, that Victor Hugo quote, there is nothing as powerful as an idea whose time has come. The hardest part for corporations are moving quicker, are being able to actually kind of pick their battles and realize that the world has changed more in the last four years than in the last 40 years or even 100 years before that, in a sense. So it is being able to kind of somehow, it is both an art and a science. I think we've got to bring a little bit more art and a little bit more risk into the model. And that's, and, and so, you know, if I had to just feed it back to you, for one thing is, you know, people ask me what I think about real-time marketing. My answer is real-time marketing is bullshit. You know, just move quicker. You don't have to operate within three seconds. On Twitter, I would say you probably want to respond to your customer, you know, I don't know, in less than four hours, you know, but real-time marketing and trying to, like, predict the next power failure in the Super Bowl, trust me, that will not happen. You know, people will die. They will be killed if that happens again. It will never happen again. So trying to capture lightning in a bottle, it's too fast. It's too quick. Our customers don't want that pace. That's too, that gives me agita, you know. You know, just, just move quicker. Be more responsive as well. And so for, for some, it's easier. When you begin, that's why startups do so well. It's not because their ideas are necessarily better. It's just because they have a stronger culture. And they come from a, they're like children. You know, nobody tells them they can't, so they believe they can. Until eventually they get so big and everybody tells them, you know, how they need to be like everybody else and conform. And they lose that sense of imagination and creativity and risk and, and et cetera. So the message for corporations, again, going back to what I said today, is remember those humble beginnings, those roots. Get back to basics. Because customer service is not a revolutionary idea at all. But I think maybe some of the frameworks I hope today, whether you're seeing it from Sangram or myself, are somewhat both evolutionary and revolutionary. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Flip My Funnel is on a mission to build the largest and most engaged community of B2B professionals in the world. Join the movement at flipmyfunnel.com. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.